Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to be amazed by you. I want to be in love with you. I want to speak as a worshiper this morning, uh, one who's enthralled by your majesty and your glory. And so I pray that your spirit would rest on me and that there would be wisdom and revelation flowing within my heart that could cause me to overflow with that love that I have for you, that you would open every heart by your spirit to receive what it is that you're saying, because really the journey of a conversation is one that you're having with us in order for you to prepare us as your people to cause there to be a foundation of Christ expanded within our lives and laid firm and for us to grow up in Christ. And so I am asking that you would come and you would open up every heart to what it is that you have to say and allow me just simply to be a listener and a responder to you. Thank you, God, for what we have enjoyed already in your presence. I just ask that your Holy Spirit would now rest on your people. And there's people that just need to receive your touch. Some need to receive healing to their hearts. Some of them need you to remove the burrs of words that have been spoken to them, the little darts. Some of them need you to remove fears from their hearts, from events that have happened, to establish your peace and your love. Some need healing to touch their bodies. Thank you, God, for those that you are going to bring breakthroughs, both in the areas of employment and in the areas of finances. And I thank you for the homes and families that you are leading a crusade to win the battle. And I thank you for homes coming under your rule and reign in so many different ways. I thank you for children, for young people, young adults that have left following you, and yet your word is still in their hearts. And I thank you for the activation of that word. I thank you, God, for a God recognition within their lives so that in the awareness of God and the awareness of God in the events going on around them, their hearts would turn to you and return to you. I thank you, God, that you are good and you are faithful. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to talk just about a couple of themes. Most of you have been around church and the Bible for quite a while, so I'm not going to talk to you about something new and just but I'm just bringing our minds together on the same page, so we won't be looking up all the scriptures that go with it. If there's any scripture, if there's anything that I say that you go, huh, didn't know that was in there, just let me know, and we'll get you all the scriptures to go with it. We will be looking at some scriptures, but not in the whole journey, the detailed journey of where we're going. So first of all, I just want to talk about the theme of Messiah. Messiah, or in the Greek, Christ the anointed one. I like calling him Messiah. I just, just like calling him Messiah. It says more to me. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah. Just talk about him for a moment. So God in his incredible love created the heavens and the earth and at the pinnacle of his creation out of his incredible love and goodness, created mankind, created mankind in his image and in his likeness and gave to mankind dominion to rule over this sphere of his creation, the earth. 
The heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to man. So he gave to mankind rule, knowing full well from eternity past that mankind would abdicate their dominion, and yet he had already planned for a lamb that would be slain, that would redeem mankind back to himself. And so in the story we have Adam and Eve who were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet they on occasion meet with a serpent. We're not told where the serpent came from. We just see the effects of the serpent which poisoned their minds so that they doubted the good intentions of God in the prohibition that he had made to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that his intentions were actually to withhold from them the capacity to be gods independent of him. And so they were poisoned with a pride and a self-centeredness that chose to take the option of becoming gods and becoming wise, to determine for themselves what was good and what was evil. And in doing that, what God had said would happen, happened. Not that they immediately died physically, though that process was initiated, but they were separated from the life of God. They were separated from his love and his goodness, even though his goodness and care and his provision is extended to both the good and the evil, yet they were, they were separated from the intimacy of relationship with him and the knowledge of his life. And so they began to live life having to seek their own survival, having to not being secure in love, having to seek out their own self-interests, their own self-protection, their own self-advancement. So everything became rooted in the worship of self. And so it should be because they had chosen to become gods. And so everything was them determining what was good for them or what was bad for them and living out life from a very self-centered point of view. So from that point on, all of man's thinking grew from a self-centered root. All of man's reasoning grew from a self-centered root. All of man's value systems grew from a self-centered root. All of man's emotional makeup grew from a self-centered root. You might think that those negative emotions that you have are only human. They are corrupted. You were not created for fear. You were not created for depression. You were not created for despair. You were not created for anxiousness. Those are emotions that come from a self-centered perspective that has not been rooted in the love that God has for us and the security of his love and faithfulness towards us so that mankind became corrupted and the seed of iniquity going one's own way became rooted within us. And yet at that very moment, God made a promise that from the seed of the woman would come someone, someone. And that someone would crush the serpent's head. That's 
his control and his influence over humanity. But in crushing the serpent's head, that one, whoever he was, his heel would be bruised. And so now we have the first promise of a Messiah. And so we see the world, because of the self-centeredness, becoming completely wicked so that every thought and every imagination becomes evil. And God then has to destroy the world because of a flood. He saves one righteous man through giving him the plans for the ark and bringing about the preservation of humanity through that ark. And then we have humanity growing again. However, that root of sin is still there. It begins to evidence itself immediately. And so throughout the history, God finds one man. He finds a man named Abraham who will put his faith and his trust in God and walk in obedience of faith towards God. Not according to law, but an obedience of faith from the heart towards God who will demonstrate by his life for the generations to come what it means to walk in covenant relationship with God and to walk the life of faith obedience towards God. And that one man is a man named Abram. And to him is promised the land of Canaan for his generations and that through his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. So we have two We have two veins that are going on here. One is has to do with the land of Israel, as we know it today, and one has to do with a blessing for all the nations of the world. And so God walks this story out with Abraham. We know his story. You can read about it. Then we have Isaac, the child of promise. Then we have Jacob. And in these, even though they are walking before God, we still see that self-centeredness, that self-preservation. I mean, good old Abraham, he lied about his wife just to preserve his life. Jacob, he's a deceiver and he's a usurper. We see it happening. It's still there. And his sons, oh, jealousy and envy. And they take Joseph and they throw him in the pit and then they lie to us. And we see it going on. It's still continuing on. And yet God's promise, his covenant remains faithful. And so as Jacob is blessing his sons, he blesses one called Judah. And he declares that the scepter will never depart from Judah. But that through Judah will come a king, and through that king will come great blessing. Well, Judah was not exactly purity in personification. So it wasn't through Judah. But one of Judah's descendants, a little boy named David was selected, and he was a man after God's own heart. But even though he was a man after God's own heart, he wasn't exactly squeaky clean himself. (laughs) He still had this root of sin and self-centeredness, this strain of iniquity within his heart. And yet, he yielded himself to God's discipline. He sought after God, and God made a promise to him that from his descendants... The line of Judah, seed of Abraham. Now David's descendants would come one who would sit upon David's throne, who would establish a kingdom of righteousness. Well, David had some really good sons. There was uh, Jehoshaphat. There was 
Hezekiah, there was Uzziah, but no, none of them were sinless either. And then he had some really awful sons, descendants. And none of those descendants were able to bring about this kingdom of righteousness. And in fact, none of them were able to bring about true reformation and revival of the hearts of the people. Some political change that on the surface may have looked like revival during their reigns, but the hearts of Israel themselves, who were the chosen people set apart, who God made covenant with and said, if you will walk with me and you will be obedient unto me, I'm going to make you a nation of kings and priests. And through you, this promise of blessing would be fulfilled, but the nation of Israel had this self-centeredness and this iniquity within their hearts, and they continued to turn from God to idolatry and to immorality until God had to finally remove them from the land. They were taken into exile, but then God in his mercy, according to his name, because his name was being reproached, God brought Israel back to the land, and then we, we move forward. All of the time, the prophets are prophesying about the coming, and through different ways and means, they are pointing towards this kingdom. They're pointing towards this king. They're pointing towards this reign of righteousness in the earth. But we come into the New Testament, and it still hasn't happened. And yet one comes on the scene of voice, crying in the wilderness, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent through your repentance. Make a highway. Make a way for the one who is coming after me. One who is preferred before me because he was before me. One who is so great I am not even worthy to untie his shoes. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And John the Baptist points to him and says, Behold the Messiah. No, 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 no. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, it's strange, actually, if you read through the Scriptures and through the prophecies regarding this one that would reign, and you read through the book of Zechariah, and chapter 12, and you read through Isaiah chapter 53, but especially the end of chapter 52 in Isaiah, there's this strange mixture of this one that would be so disfigured and abhorred, and yet this one who would reign. This one who would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Behold the Lamb of God. And then John bears witness that he saw the heavens open, and he saw the dove descending upon this one whom he had baptized. And he said, this signifies that he is the Son of God. They were not thinking immaculate con conception, when they heard Son of God, they weren't thinking about this actually being God among us. The term Son of God to them was used by many kings in their days. And it was also a term that was spoken of Israel. Israel was a son. My son I have chosen up out of Egypt. So Son of God for the initial hearers meant this was a true Israelite. And this is a king. But then Jesus went about and he began proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand 
But it wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't an uprising against the Roman rulership. Instead, he went about as a servant, doing good. He was healing the sick. He was driving out the demonic. He was cleansing the leper. He was raising the dead. He was confronting the religious system. He was speaking with authority, even though they had Moses who was there in authority, and they had the law, the Torah, which was their authoritative instruction. He came speaking as though he was an authority himself, and he began to speak with authority, and he began to challenge the current thinking within his day. And so his influence began to rise, and the religious leaders became very nervous, concerned, And self-protection and self-preservation and self-exaltation begins to rise up. And hatred and jealousy and envy begins to rise up. And so they take him and they falsely accuse him. They call him a blasphemer and then they bring him to Pilate so that because they were not able to put him to death themselves, they brought him so that it would be done in a legal way and they insisted that Pilate have him crucified. Now Pilate understood that they were bringing Jesus to him out of self-interest, the scripture says. And so he sought to have Jesus released. And he, so he gave them an option. Who do you want? Barabbas, the thief? Or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they chose. He, he gave them the option a number of times and they chose Barabbas. What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Crucify him. And Jesus, though he was a king and could have called the hosts of heaven because of the authority that he carried, chose to allow himself to be crucified. And in being crucified, he was taken by the Roman soldiers and he was mocked for being called a king. And they put a robe on him and they mocked him and they beat him and they put a crown of thorns on him and they disfigured him more than any other person on the face of the earth. And then they caused him to be exalted upon his throne, the cross of Calvary. And there, in triumph over hatred, and in triumph over self-interest, in triumph, in triumph, he faced the hostility of the human heart, and in his final act of triumph, said, forgive them. And he decimated hell. And with the full powers of the kingdom of heaven, the Messiah delivered humanity from the power of sin, disarmed hell from the power of accusation, released forgiveness, released the love of God over even his enemies. Triumph! Triumph! Oh, would you glorify him? Would you glorify him? Would you glorify him? Would you acknowledge the self-centeredness of your own life and glorify him who triumphed over it? Often when I worship, I stand in amazement of him and I say, who compares to you? I know self-preservation. I know self-interest. I know self-defensiveness. I know a lot of other self things too. And yet, in the midst of completely unjust 
hostility. He triumphed over every self-inclination. There is a great chasm between the kingdom of self-rights and the kingdom of love. One fights for their rights, the others empties himself for the sake of love. What triumph on the cross. The Messiah who came to deliver us. But then he rose again from the dead, raised by the power of the Spirit, the glory of the Father, raised in triumph with the keys of hell and of death in his hand. He was raised from the dead, victory over death itself. And then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God with all authority above principalities and powers and every title and every name, with the absolute lordship and the right of rule in order to come once again and evict evil from our world, to bind Satan and cast him out, and to establish the kingdom of God, a kingdom of righteousness, on the earth. Jesus, the Messiah, in whom our hope is. Now, I want to stop from that train and I want to go on a different theme for a second. Just having a conversation. I want to talk about the good news of the kingdom of God. So, in Isaiah 52, there's a poem. Beautiful poem. And in it, there is a messenger scene. And he's running over the mountains. And he's bringing good news. Now Israel has been taken into exile because of their sin and their rebellion against God. This nation that was supposed to be a kingdom of priests to God had become completely corrupted to the point where they could not hear the voice of God through the prophets that were speaking to them and warning them. Their hearts had become hard, and they had given themselves to idolatry, and they had given themselves to immorality until injustice ran rampant within their streets. And so God, according to his warning, had them exiled into Babylon. But there were still a few remnant that were left in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem, which was supposed to be the place of God's throne from which the kingdom of David and the reign of our God was supposed to go forth, had actually been destroyed. It was rubble. And so this messenger comes running on the mountains in this poem, and he's crying good news. What's the good news that he's crying out as he's running across the mountains towards Jerusalem? Our God reigns. Our God reigns. The good news is the announcement of the reign of God and the reign of his kingdom over the history of mankind. And even though Israel has been taken into captivity, God was going to return to Israel. And he was going to bring his people out of captivity. He was going to restore them again to the promised land. He was going to revive again the city of Jerusalem. He was going to establish again his throne. And his king would come who would rule according to his promise. Good news. Good news. 
Now, I've already talked about the story of the Messiah, and I've already talked about the history of Israel, so we know that even though the good news was announced, we still come into the New Testament, and we haven't seen the good news fulfilled. But then Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. This is the reign of God. And even as he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, he is declaring that with his coming, this kingdom is at hand. With his coming, this kingdom is here. Now when we talk about kingdom again, we're talking about, when we're talking about good news, we're talking about the good news of a coming reign, the reign of God. And this proclamation of the kingdom was an announcement that he himself was king. Now, what, what I've just recognized is that I took both my stories, the Messiah and the kingdom of God, and they're now weaving themselves in together. Do you remember when, I mean, Jesus, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, the kingdom of God is not here nor there. It doesn't come with observation. The kingdom of God is within you. He taught his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things would be added unto you. You don't have to worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Start your prayer with a focus on your kingdom come, your will be done. End your prayer on a declaration, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. That'll keep your prayer really good and balanced. Your needs met within the context of his kingdom and his reign. Come, and his kingdom and his reign and his glory. Great, great context for prayer. He taught them that when he drove out the demonic by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God had come to them. And in announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he walked in an authority of the kingdom, which he took authority over sickness. He took authority over the demonic, the spirit realm, and he took authority over the natural realm, doing miracles, providing bread for thousands, walking upon the water, calming the sea. He took authority. He walked in the authority of the kingdom. But then let me take you to all the way through the story because even though he was a king and even though he was a master, he didn't seem like a king as we know him. He wasn't seeking to take dominion over anybody and he wasn't seeking to usurp authority. He had come with humility. He had come with the heart of a servant. He had come with the heart of a love. He had come to take his place on the throne of the cross that we talked about earlier. But remember when he stood before Pilate. Are you a king? You say that I am. My kingdom were of this world. Then would my servants fight for me, but my kingdom is not of this earth. Do you remember when they crucified Jesus and put him on that cross? Pilate had put upon his head a sign over his head, Jesus, the King of the Jews. We talked about Jesus dying. We talked about Jesus being buried. We talked about Jesus being raised from the dead. We talked about Jesus ascending to the throne of glory. We've talked about Jesus returning again. As king of kings and lord of lords, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Messiah. 
And I want you to understand there is a component of the good news of the kingdom that Israel is very, very much a part of. The good news of the kingdom still includes the land and the city of Jerusalem and Jesus returning as Messiah to his people and Jesus setting up his kingdom as he returns to that land and a repentance of the nation of Israel as they see the one whom they have pierced. There is a component where Jesus Christ is coming back to establish a physical kingdom here on the earth. And we look forward to that kingdom of righteousness. But there's a spiritual component to that kingdom, which is the kingdom of God ruling and reigning within us. That Christ, the Messiah, would dwell in your hearts by faith. The Messiah's reign within your heart. You have been buried with Christ. You have been raised up with Christ. You have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. The reality of a spiritual reign that is happening right here and now among us. We are called to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to all creation. We are called to move in that same power and authority of the kingdom as we operate. But what I want us to hear, I want us to focus on is the gospel of the kingdom. And I'm not not talking anything new to you. This always is my problem. I love talking to new Christians because it's like, wow, oh, yeah, oh, move, okay, heart change, transformation. Wow, get that. You talk to people who've heard the message before, it's, okay, when are you going to get on to the point? Like, I've heard that before. Well, I don't get to the point till the point has actually pierced your heart. So the Holy Spirit has to do that. The essence of the nature of Christ, because he is the Messiah and King, the Savior of all mankind, the one who is coming to eradicate the essence of who Christ is, is the essence of the kingdom. The essence of how he lived, his humility, his servanthood, His love in the face of hostility and injustice is the essence of the kingdom. His love and his compassion for those who were broken and need. His heart that was moved with mercy for others, regardless of the expense to himself, is the essence of the kingdom. And what is going to bring about the messianic transformation to your inner world, just as sure as it's going to bring messianic transformation to the physical world, is the reign of Christ within. That's the reign over every self-centered inclination within our hearts. The reign of his humility over every expression of pride the reign of his love over every expression of self-interest. So I want you to see that those things confronting your life that are bringing to the surface your self-interest are Jesus the Messiah exerting his kingdom. And what I'm saying again is we're not here to do church. We're here to do Christ. And your history of church if it's been anything like mine, has been people gathered together for the purpose of self-interest, not for the purpose of Christ. 
and where self-interest reigns rather than the Messiah. Where self-interest reigns rather than his kingdom. Then we have all kinds of envy and jealousy, division and bitterness. Then we have a people who are meeting together for the purpose of self-interest, not for the sake of provoking themselves to be instruments of love within their world. We have a people that start to nitpick about whether I like the worship songs or not, whether I like the, the cushions in the seats or not, which we could use some extra cushioning in our seats. I know, okay? Whether or not I got recognition or not. You understand, self-interest, and wherever there has been hurt within the church, and wherever there has been division within the church, and wherever there has been reproach within the church, it's because people have been doing church, not allowing the Messiah to rule within their lives. This gospel of the kingdom transforms lives from the inside out. From the inside out. This gospel of the kingdom is the message of the Messiah coming to reign with his kingdom within the hearts of people which reflects itself in the way we do home. We don't do home, we do Christ. You hear what I'm saying? We don't do home, we do Christ. We don't do employment, we do Christ. You hear what I'm saying? We don't do church, we do Christ. And in doing Christ, our religious attitudes, perceptions, and prejudice must bow to the one who faced it all, but in love sacrificed his life. And we are called to be a demonstration of that love within our world so that hearts will open up to a revelation of what this kingdom is through our love and through our humility and through our servanthood and through our self-sacrifice so that the influence, the, 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 re- the light of the kingdom begins to shine into the darkness of their self-centeredness and they begin to recognize that in the face of their hostility and their self-centeredness, you're not responding in that way and you're responding in a way that creates conviction within their hearts and their hearts begin to open up to the gospel of the kingdom that the Messiah can come and reign within their hearts and bring healing and wholeness and bring peace and bring freedom and deliverance to them so that when he comes in, they are changed from the inside out by the kingdom because the kingdom is not a dominion that enforces its morality on people. It is an influence that starts in the heart and begins to create a transformation within people and within their communities. You hear what I'm saying? There is nothing wrong with being involved in a democratic society with from your conviction speaking your heart, but you cannot impose morality on a people. And you can, you, you can put somebody into political power, and you can put a party into power, but you have not changed the hearts of the nation. The only way that you change the hearts, actually bring true transformation, is when the kingdom comes into hearts. But the only way the message of the kingdom and the reign of Christ in an authentic way 
can be heard in our world if there are a people who in the communication of their lives are speaking the gospel of the kingdom. The way I live my life declares that there is a kingdom in which love reigns, not self-interest. We're just having a conversation. I'm not doing a conclusion. I'm not having an altar call. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. There is an anointed one who when he comes to reign within the heart and a people understand the glory of his reign, the power of his reign, the beauty of his reign. When they fall in love with the Messiah who lived out kingdom. Do you know what Christ did when he was on the earth? You're never going to imagine it. He did Christ. Well, you're going to have to think about that again. You know what Christ did when he was on the earth? He did Christ. And by doing Christ, he released salvation for the entire How powerful is doing Christ. He brought deliverance. He brought healing. He brought forgiveness. He brought mercy. He brought love. He brought hope. He brought security. And he brought it into every facet of life. We can do church, but it is a pathetic trade for doing Christ. Just saying I'm just saying. But here's the problem. Now that I've said it, it's working inside of you. And you're going to find yourself, as we continue to talk about this, you're going to find yourself struggling because you're going to see the warfare. You're going to see the two kings at war. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violence take it by force and the violence is against the kingdom of self. But you're going to see that contention and then you're going to recognize that you and your willpower cannot just make that kingdom happen. You actually have to surrender your will to the will of another. And the cry within your heart is, let the reign of the Messiah come within my heart. Let's stand and pray. One of the problems that you have is you know that I'm speaking to you truth. And this truth will invade your home, your relationships, the way you do business, The way you treat that person who didn't get you your coffee just the way you wanted it when you wanted it. The person that mistreated you. Oh, we could go on and on and on and on. (laughs) Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, you've heard my prayer. I want the reign of the Messiah. I'm tired of everything and anything else. I love it when you rule and reign. I love it when all of the the negativity, all of the anxiousness, all of the turmoil, all of the fighting that happens when self is reigning inside of me, when all of that surrenders to your peace and your joy and your love. I love the reign of the Messiah in my heart. And my prayer is that you would come and reign Come reign in us. 
I thank you that you have already worked out our justification so that we do not have to spend time justifying our self-centered behavior on the basis of what people have done to us or how wrong it was or any other thing that has negatively affected us. Because if you kept doing Christ on the cross, then there's no aspect of our life that your reign cannot bring Christ into his full glory. Come reign in us. Come reign in your church. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to this power that is at work in us. To him be glory in the church. Amen.